0: To another episode of the Project Idealism podcast, I am sitting here with Ryan Singer uh, of Thirty Seven Signals. He is one of the lead designers and sometimes refers to himself as a product owner if he has to uh, give himself like a title that product big, manager. Product manager. Yeah, okay, yeah. sorry. Yeah, that's okay. the cocktail title. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so Ryan, thanks a bunch for for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's nice to be here. So Ryan and I are going to talk a bit about design and the intersection of design and programming and running iterations and all that kind of stuff. Um, so anybody that knows me has probably heard me drop the name 37signals before because I use a bunch of your products and everything. But why don't, uh, for anybody who is not familiar, give a, just like a quick background of how you joined 37signals, um, how long you've been with the company, um, and all that good stuff.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I was doing freelance web design type stuff um, in around, let's see, it was 2003 when I connected with 37signals, so at that time I was doing freelance design, and um, you know, I was looking on the web for people who were just doing something different or something that was interesting, and 37signals uh, at that time was a design company, they right. were a consultancy, and they had a really, um, uh, they stood out along along with Jacob Nielsen's useit.com, those are like the two sites I remember really being impressed by okay. Um, because everybody was still pretty into the early 2000s, late 90s, lots of graphics, slicing images, uh, you yeah. know, kind of original sort of web style. And uh, and these guys were just doing text with little spots of bold and yellow highlighting and stuff. So it was just this different angle. So I, I was really interested in what they were doing. And then when they were hiring, um, you know, I talked to them and, uh, and then became a designer. So at that time, uh, I was designing with 37. It was myself. Uh, Jason, the founder, and Matt Linderman, who's also still with us. He's in New York now. Okay, And um, we were, so we were basically doing redesigns, uh, trying to make, to make things more clear and understandable. It right. was really like, we weren't super visual or graphic. It was all about like making stuff clear. Right, right. And, um, and then uh, uh, shortly after I came on board in that summer of 2003, uh, we were, uh, Jason had this idea about this project management tool he wanted to do. Um, It was sort of like, what if we had a blog, like an internal blog with our clients? That was the idea. Right. Because we were noticing that, you know, I would be working on the design. He would email the client. The client would respond to him. He'd tell me what they said. Like, it was just this really painful process with emails. Um, So then this kind of idea for an internal client conversation blog thing became Basecamp. Yep. Um, And uh, it was early 2004 that we launched that. Um, David uh, David Heinmar Hansen came on board in mm-hmm. uh, 2003. Also, he was just working as a contractor, doing the programming for that, and um, and we all worked together very well. Uh, and then after 2004, released Basecamp, and it took off quite a bit faster than we had expected. And it became clear to us that this is really what we like to do. Right. You know, was to make apps and and kind of control all sides of the process, and also like learn about all sides of the process. Right, uh, right, right, right. Um, and so since that time, you know, we've done a handful of other apps, you know, HighRise for contact management especially. Yep. Um, Campfire is used uh, by a lot of uh, programmer developer teams. Yep. Um, and, uh, and we have a little tool called Backpack too that, for organizing your company. Right.
0: So let's fast forward a little bit now to um, like the present day, right? So now there is... Not only do you guys have the four products that you just mentioned, but you're also working on uh, making those easy to use and enjoyable on mobile devices um, So you guys have a number of projects going on yeah right? <laughs> and you wrote uh, a post I think it was about a year ago where you talked about like a new way that you were working where you where you had your teams um, split into three which I know you guys work like that a lot mm-hmm. but it sounds like you put a little bit of a more formal like process around your like your design and your iterations and that kind of stuff so one of the things i'm like keenly interested in is the things that you guys are doing now have they do you feel like they have helped you um in ways that you like that have been useful that you could have used back like in 2005, 2004, <laughs> or do you look at them as sort of like just a necessary evil uh, that you have
1: to do? Yeah, definitely necessary evil. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. I mean, in 2004, 2005, whatever, those were like the, the glorious cowboy days when, you know, when you only have three or four or five or six people working on products, you don't have to coordinate anything because you all, you're at that size, you can just share a brain together. Right. You know, and especially when you don't have a big division in skills, you know, we didn't have somebody who could only do graphic design and somebody who could only do front-end coding and somebody who could only do programming, like... Right. And then since all those skills were getting mixed together among just a few people, it was just working together really fluidly, and that was the ideal situation. Okay. The ideal situation for us is, like, one guy or two guys, like, you know, like, kicking butt for two or three days just doing what needs to be done, because right. we just know what has to happen. Right. Oh, like, here's the UI, and then, oh, I'll touch that up, and then you hook that up, great. Okay, where's that hooked up? Okay, now we're going to make this change. To, like, and just chaotic, boom, 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 making it happen. Yep. And um, every time, you know, so now we're, what, 26, 27 people, mm-hmm. and you just can't do that. You can't just, like, chaotically expect it to work out. It just right. doesn't. Right. <laughs> you know it's, just, it's like, I always think about how, you know, you go to a party, and you're, like, the first one there. And it's, like, you're talking to the host, right? Uh-huh. And then, like, two more people come, and then the four of you are standing around the kitchen table. And then the th- a group of three comes, and then it's like ah, uh, you can't quite hold the group of seven or eight people together standing right. around the one table. It starts to split into two groups, and then more and more. And there's almost a kind of physics behind it, like how soap bubbles combine right. and separate, or something. <laughs> right, right. How how groups of people can function, you know? And so it's just necessary to split things up. So what we're trying to do, the way that I look at it, is we're trying to emulate that experience of the two or three people who can chaotically share a brain and make it happen. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And we're basically, uh, instead of putting a whole lot of hierarchy in, we're trying to just split it out, keep things very, very flat, but have more of these small groups. Right. You know? So at any given moment right now, we have three or four teams going. I think it's three teams right now with always two programmers and one designer. Okay. Um, It just turns out that that's the amount of work that there usually is. For any given feature or product or whatever. Right. And they're basically just trying to emulate that, those chaotic cowboy days.
0: Okay, okay. So now, <clears throat> if you have these three teams, four teams, at some point maybe you'll have six teams, right? Um, the one challenge that I see like larger organizations are always like dealing with, and I know that because of your general like the general thirty-seven signals belief system, you may not have this quite as much as other people. Um, but there's the notion of like a project portfolio, right, where there's some manager who wants to be able to see everything that's being worked on and Mm. all those sort of, like, the key things that you're planning on hitting and that kind of stuff, right? Right, right. And so even though you guys don't have, like, a management hierarchy, I imagine you have, like, Jason and David who are interested in knowing what people are working on and a general idea of, like, when you think you'll have, like, the, you know, the ability to to do the new feature that you're rolling out or whatever, right? Right, yeah. So how do you... Like, do you have a structure around that kind of thing? We
1: we have a... Some structure is evident, but it's not completely planned or thought out. So, um, you know, Jason and David are the two partners. Right. And, um, like, at the end of the day, they're the ones who are deciding what is worth what in terms of time and business value and stuff like that, right? Because we can spend you know, eight weeks, uh, polishing some obscure corner of base camp that we happen to like. <laughs> right. And, um, and whether or not that's interesting to us and whether or not that has business value or different matters. Okay. Um, and, uh, so, uh, ultimately they're making that call. Um, but at the same time, um, my, I mentioned before that my cocktail title is product manager. Right. Um, and right. Y- you know, um, I, I do spend quite a bit of my time, um, kind of touching in with the teams mm-hmm. and, um, Seeing how they're doing and seeing if they're if they're moving forward like at the speed that well that Jason and David would like, but also that 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 probably they the team would like. You know, that no team wants to get stuck uh, with a project that's not getting where it needs to go, and then here in three weeks that uh, suddenly there's a lot of pressure that Do you guys got to wrap this up, or, right? Or right, you know what right. I mean? Nobody kind of wants to hit the wall because they focused on the wrong things. Yeah, so. Um, so I'm kind of trying to get in there as a service to both ends, you know, to okay. just make things happen as smooth as possible. Okay. Um, and um, and then at the same time, I'm uh, we're all having conversations as a company, you know, informally about what people think would be interesting to work on. Right. We even have an internal tool we wrote called Iterations, which allows people to post suggested ideas for what we want to work on. Okay. Um, but then uh, basically, uh, when we have a, a team finishes, iterations are typically something like three weeks long. Mm-hmm. Um, team finishes three week project. It's time to take something else on. They're going to propose ideas. Jason and David are going to propose ideas. I'm going to propose ideas and we're all going to talk together until we have some agreement about what's worth doing right now. Right. You know, sometimes Jason and David and I will have a, we'll have a handful of things kind of in a queue somewhere. Okay. You know, high priority things that we'd like to, to, to see happen soon. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes uh, you know Jason or David will come in one morning with some stroke of genius from the night before, and that's the most (laughs) important thing,
2: you know. And sometimes it
1: goes by a few months where we just are doing a lot of spring cleaning or little little improvements that the teams have been coming up with. So it's it's changing all the time. Okay, it's mainly that there has to be. You definitely want to have this feeling like we're we are putting we're getting something out of this work that we're doing. Right. And we're getting some personal satisfaction and the customers are happy and the product line feels like it's moving forward. Yep. It's like all these things at the same time somehow. Right. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> somehow. So um, when you so once you've figured out okay, these are the five most important things we want to be working on, right? So there's and before we started recording, I was talking to Ryan a little bit about how I can I started in more of like a full on project management sort of uh, like career role, and I've morphed a bit more into like doing some of my own design and software development. And Ryan is doing um, started as a designer now. You find yourself doing like a bit of uh, I don't want to say project management, but you like you know you you are working with your teams to figure out what yep. things to work on and that kind of stuff. Yep. So do you guys go to the level where you're, like, breaking down work into, like, stories and tasks and tracking, like, all that kind of stuff?
1: Um, it's a, it's a um, work in progress, Okay, it, what, what the system is and how much of it. The thing is, um, all right, so, uh, so when we first started doing Basecamp, you know, I mentioned it was this cowboy style, mm-hmm. um, but we did—we were informed by some—I don't want to say methodology, but uh, D- David knew about XP.
0: Okay.
1: Um, uh, uh, We—I'm—I'm I'm a huge Kent Beck fan. Okay. David's a big Kent Beck fan, um, and so he was aware of, of XP and, um, and, and and what the different XP practices were, and we were never an XP shop. But we were uh, picking and choosing a few things from what Ken Beck was talking about that Kay. made sense to us. Okay. Um, and uh, um, we were aware of Agile, mm-hmm. um, and we wanted we liked some of the things about Agile, which is basically um, taking small chunks of work, um, doing them, and then using them as the basis for feedback in order to take, make your next decision, right. as, as opposed to a whole lot of upfront sure. planning. Yep. Um, so a lot of that was kind of informing what we were doing, um, but we didn't have any kind of formal process. Right. Um. More and more now, as time goes by, and we have more teams and more work going on, mm-hmm. um, I start to see the the like, appeal of having some formal process, but we never want to fall off the cliff into actually buying into any of it. Yeah. Because right. as soon as agile is twelve points, and you're and you, then you're asking yourself, am I doing ten out of the twelve points? Then you've lost the point, right? Right. Right. And um. Right. Uh, so, uh, there, what I'm always looking for is, like, what are the fundamental principles? Mm-hmm. Like, what are the fundamental habits that we're going to have Kay. that are going to make us happy or not? Right, know? right. And um, so, like, one of the things I'm always looking at is, um, uh, do we have a lot of half-finished work lying around? Okay. Or, um, or, or do we have um, little chunks of work on this project? That are all very nicely done, uh, based on what we know about what we want to do so far. You know, so uh, the, the the main technique that we've been using is taking the work that needs to be done. Let's say it's a three week project. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say that um, we are trying to think of a, uh, a project that's not happening now that I can <laughs> use as an example. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, actually, you know, we did a redesign of Hi-Rise yeah, recently. Right, right. Um, so that's a good example to talk about, because there's a lot of change that you can do in a, in a whole UI redesign. Right. Right? Um, some things are going to stay the same, and some things are going to change. Um, so what we don't want to do is we don't want to sit down for a week, have an epic brainstorm, have a designer redesign the whole app, with a whole bunch of wireframes or a whole bunch of mocks, yeah. start developing all those mocks and then hand it off to a programmer and then the programmers slog through all the changes until they're all built. Yeah. Like that's not what we want to do. What we want to do instead is we want to say, um, okay, well, what's like the first most important thing? Yeah. First most important thing is um, like, what, like, what are we actually trying to accomplish with this redesign? Well, one thing we really, really want that we didn't have before was an unchanging uh, global navigation that included a, a reliable place to add a new contact, mm-hmm. um, search, yep. and um, and jump to your recent contacts. Right. We wanted that to be globally available on every screen and look good. So, um, what the approach we would take for something like that is we'd come up with a design for just that. We're going to leave all the uh, contents of the pages alone because mm-hmm. the pages are have their sort of you know there's like this vertical page that has what you're looking at, yep. and then there's this like global stuff around it. So we wanted to make a slice where we say everything inside the page is off limits. Okay. You know, everything outside of the page is open for is open for discussion right now. And then we're going to find how can we change this global navigation so it does what we want. Okay. And then we change that, plug it into the real code, get it polished, get it looking good, do any a wiring that has to change to make it happen. Uh-huh. And then there's going to be some awkward screens where the new global nav doesn't look great with the old page contents. Okay. But now we can identify where does it actually look fine with the old stuff mm-hmm. versus where is it clashing with the old stuff.
2: Right. right then
1: you go, oh, okay, so now, now instead of having like a whole bunch of work that we created for ourselves by just redesigning everything, we made one valuable change. And that change created some collateral damage. Mm-hmm. So now we can look at that collateral damage and then say okay so now that that one change is good <clears throat> now what do i need to change next right, right? and then like tweak 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 yep. always defining some kind of boundary around what is game for change and what's not um mm-hmm. a huge inspiration for me in terms of like how to pick off small pieces of work mm-hmm. has been Kent Beck's um TDD Okay. You know test driven development. Right right. We don't do TDD here. Okay. But um David and I were just having a conversation about this. We would love for the whole company to be TDD. And what we mean by that is that TDD isn't, is like if you take it as a so formal software practice, it means writing a test. And then you write your test and you say, um, uh, uh, when, I, um, when I add two and two, the result should be four. Mm-hmm. But you haven't written a function called add yet. Okay. So then what you do is you run your tests And this test that says two plus two should be four says, "Eh, sorry, I don't know how to add. (laughs) Test failed. (laughs) And then you, so you write an add function Mm -hmm. that says this is how you add two and two. And then you run the test again and the test goes ding, you know, success. Okay. You know how to add now. And the the sort of interesting thing about that is what you're doing is you're defining a small criteria for success by writing a test. Mm -hmm. Starting with that thing being broken. And then writing code until that that thing that failure turns into a success, right. and then writing another test. Yep. So you're kind of step by step defining what is it that we're trying to get out of this situation, you know, like what's the kind of goal, and then building just enough to get that satisfaction, and then setting another goal like that. Okay. Um, so that's a whole area that I've been really interested.
0: Yeah. in. Yeah. So you. So Ryan has a uh, a, a blog felt presence that mm-hmm. you've recently. You put some articles on, and you were talking about the – how you look at, like, uncertainty and scope is, like, the same thing. Yes. And that is – Yeah, so these are scopes that we're talking about. How
1: can we break a big chunk of work into small scopes of work? Right. Yeah.
0: Right. So I I like the – I like what you talk about with the general principles, the sort of looking at all these different methodologies and just finding what the general principle is, which I think is – Fantastic! I love that. Right? What I—it's interesting because I have I found in like other organizations that like they're sometimes you you will see a shop that is quote unquote agile, mm. and yet they're like the most rigid place totally in the world totally. Because yeah. I, was, I, I was
1: just watching this uh, this lecture from Ed Catmull. He's the he's the um, I think is it is it he's like top dog at Pixar. I don't okay. remember what flavor of Top Dog, if it's CEO or or whatever, okay. <laughs> um, but he uh, and he's amazing, and um, it's a talk called um, "How to Keep Your Crises Small." Okay, um, and um, and he's talking about how um, whenever you have like a process, and you boil your process down to like one word, mm-hmm. like agile. <laughs> as soon as your proce- as soon as this best practice process becomes one word. Then anybody who and and everybody and then so like agile is the thing right uh-huh. and then people say agile is good right. right so then whoever just wants to be good wants right. to be agile right so then whatever the people are doing well they call it agile yeah he has this example he said like they were going they were looking at this like uh, he was with an architect was this from him or was this from somebody else this I might be mixing with with another story now but it's the same topic so okay. uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a uh, um, uh. Uh, uh, th- 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 uh, there were Looking at a building, there was this terrible, terrible building okay. and uh, and he 's with an architect and uh, and the architect's saying, "Oh, that building is terrible you know if he had if he had if he had built it differently, he would have had a good building. What he should have done is he should have started he should have worked inside out, he should have started from the inside and then made it all right, and then worked outward based on the functions that people need okay. and then it would have been a really well made building and then later on the guy 's talk, he meets the architect who designed the, the terrible, ugly building. <laughs> And he says, How did you do that? And he says, Oh, I worked from the inside out. You know? <laughs> and, and, and and the guy who told the story was saying that what he realized is that it doesn't matter what you call your like your what you call your process. Uh-huh. Or like even what you think your process is, <laughs> right? Like doesn't really matter. That somehow you have yep. to get down to these more about what are these fundamental values that right. you have. What are the things that you care about versus the things yep. that somebody else cares about?
0: Yeah, well, that's interesting because it reminds me of in – I can't remember, like, what what exact chapter, but in Getting Real, one of the things that is talked about is, like, to help keep development moving quickly is that early on you just sort of make the decision on what we're going to err on the side of, mm. right? And so that, that the um, 37 Signals found that that was, like, a way that – the either the designers or the programmers didn't need to always like check in on something, and they would just say, "So if we're erring on the side of like simplicity, then we'll do this, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're going to err on the side of like give the user as many features as they can, you would do you would make a different yeah. decision."
1: Yeah, you see that like if you're building a feature and you don't know who it's for, Kay. you tend to overbuild. Okay, uh, like uh, we, um, I, uh, I'm trying to think of an example of that. Um, we. Uh, I, I mean, like we have a like, time tracking in Basecamp. It's mm-hmm. a feature we don't use at all.
0: Okay.
1: And um, when you don't use a feature, you get into a whole lot of what-if scenarios. Right. What if people need this? What if people need that? And what you want to do, like since you, you don't feel comfortable that you know what people need because you're not using it yourself, yeah. then you, go, you very easily go down the slippery slope of, well, I'm going to make the most abstract solution possible. Yep. You know, I'm going to, like, make it open for all kind, for 80 different possible kinds of uses because right. I don't know which one they're going to want, and then I'm safe. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Right. And right. Uh, right. And right. with something like time tracking, we actually, um, we knew that we it wasn't for us, and we knew that we weren't going to use it. We still don't use it. It's probably one of the cruftiest parts of Basecamp there is. Okay. Though there are plenty of crufty parts, but that's the one standout. out. Um, but one thing that we did, I think, that, that I'm happy about is that we really never worked more on it. Okay, We, we put it in there. <laughs> it was bare functionality. We haven't gotten any feedback from our own usage. We haven't gotten a lot of feedback from our customers on on really actionable ways to improve it. Um, so we've basically left it as a simple feature it, rather than building out a whole bunch of stuff for it. Right. You know? And right, if, if right. one day we get a really clear insight about how to make that better, then we'll, we'll act on that. Okay. You know? But until we really get a good picture about how to... How to change it, then it's yeah. just going to stay simple.
0: Right, right, okay. So let's segue a little bit into, um, if you don't mind, like getting into some of, I guess, some of the like the nitty gritty, the details of yeah, like, when sure. you guys are going through your work. So, if I understand correctly, your of these small teams, and when you're doing your iterations, that the designer is sort of the uh, the one that's sort of like making, I don't know, like making sure you're, you're getting the progress you want out of stuff or that you're like meeting the key objectives of like that iteration. So can you just talk a little bit about like the multiple hats that it sounds like the designers here are wearing Yeah, and all of that?
1: Um, that was kind of an idea that we had. Okay. We had this idea um, that the designers would somehow be leading the project. Because the designers are the ones who are sort of seeing it from the customer viewpoint, okay. ideally, and the customer viewpoint should sort of lead the project. That was the idea. Right. Um, in practice, um, my view has been changing on this topic. I think that whoever stands up as being the one who is interested in making the project move forward and who's really focused on the goal um, would be qualified to to take this project management role. Okay. Um, there is an overlap between the designer's job, making the UI, and the designer's job in terms of knowing what's valuable. It's like the same job. Right. Like, if you're making the UI, you have to know what is really important to somebody who's loading the screen. Like, what are they looking for? What are they trying to do? Right. What kind of results are they trying to get? Yeah. And, um, and if that's what you're already thinking about, then that also puts you in it you can kind of level up from that right so instead of just thinking about text boxes and pixels and flows and affordances and whatever else you're thinking about yeah, yeah. you can level up and think about it in terms of a product you know instead of thinking about the UI you think about the product because the product and the UI are the same from the customer standpoint yeah you know it's the same thing so I think there is a there is a natural kind of leap from UI up to product. Um. Because then what you're doing is you're saying, um, I see all these different features that are exposed in this UI, Mm -hmm. and I can judge the value of this to the customer, right? Yep. Um, And the rest of it is, quote, just implementation, right? (laughs) But that's also where the devil is because if you think it's just implementation, then you fall into all the traps that everybody else falls into, which is thinking that you can put the whole design together and hand it off to a programmer and the programmer is like some kind of a labor monkey. <laughs> right. And the programmer is not a labor monkey. You know, the programmer, ideally, in, in the best functioning situation, the programmer is is your other half. The, um, the programmer represents different costs. Mm-hmm. So I, I, as a designer... Um I'm uh, I'm I'm putting things into the into the app saying this is worthwhile, right? I'm gonna have um I, I wanna have a permission option on this contact in high rise and there's gonna be four radio buttons. One of the first radio button's is gonna be everybody can see this, the second one's gonna be nobody but me can see this, right? Like yeah, yeah. this is my concept here. This is how I'm gonna this is how it's gonna work. Now, I don't want to go to a programmer and then have him say, Yes, sir. Like what I want the programmer to say is, let me think about that and see how how hard that is to build, mm-hmm. and if that's a real pain to build, if it's going to take a really long time, or if it if it if it rubs up against other parts of the code in a difficult way, I would much rather have the programmer say, I don't want to make that, right? You know, and this. Uh, David's really good at this, because like <laughs> anytime time you want to do anything, you have to have an argument about, about why exactly you want that piece of UI there, and what the benefit is, and okay. why that feature's changing, and everything, because um, it's his time that's on the line as a programmer, you mm-hmm. know? Programming takes a lot of time, and it's complicated. Right. So um, it's really healthy when you have this push and pull, where the the two are trading concessions. So maybe, maybe the programmer says, you know, that would be a lot easier if we cut this one little part of that feature out, and... Uh, it, and, and, uh, and Or instead of radio buttons, we built it this other way because I have this thing already built for that or whatever. Sure, you know? sure. So, um, uh, and it could be that um, you, you have this 50-50 push and pull with, between the designer and the programmer, and it could be that the designer has the more organized, high-level mind where they're, they can see the whole project <coughs> and see oh, that we're two weeks in and we wanted to do this and wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just as likely that you could have a programmer who has that mindset um, so I'm not, like, so into right now saying, like, the designer should be the project manager okay. or something like that. And right. this basically is a really fuzzy topic for us. Mm-hmm. The things we know about right now are the push and pull and the overlap between UI design and product design. Okay. And then where those <clears throat> kind of fall out over time is still sure. a question.
0: So that's interesting because <clears> – <throat> so I found, just for myself personally, like, as I've done more, um, like, actual, like, coding of – uh, like a web app or something, right? So if I'm working on the HTML and the CSS or something, it's been like I have noticed it's been difficult for me to at times like context switch. It's almost like very jarring, like in my mm-hmm. brain, to go from like, and I don't even, I don't mean even within like a day necessarily sometimes, right? Like I'll, I'll, I mean like over the course of like four or five days, like I'll know that there's some person who's interested in this project who I need to tell them, like, here's where we're at and here's what's going on with it and we're. Maybe, like, a couple days late on this, but everything's going to be okay. Right. And I can't – it's like I've I've had a difficult time to get my brain to, like, to just write that message. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so have you found, like, the reverse to be true in that scenario where w- whether it's the the designer or the programmer that, like, is running an iteration or something that you've had a hard time, like, extracting yourself from – like writing the code to, do, to, like, to send that information out to people? I or think this like... is
1: our biggest challenge for all of us. Okay. Um, the challenge is to, to decide to do some work, mm-hmm. do it, and then stop. Right. And then decide what to do next. It's like so simple, but that's what we're all struggling with. Okay. Because um, uh, well, the typical thing is that we dive into some kind of project, and then we just get lost in it for weeks. You know, we say like, I'm going to make a, um, I'm going to make the messages section of Basecamp <laughs> right, right. and then we, um, and then we dive in and we're hooking stuff up and building features and then we're doing the file uploader and then we're doing the, the, uh, the, um, the notify, the email notifications and then something goes wrong with the email template system okay. and then, and then the tests are out of date for the. For the, for the category thing and then we forgot that we have to put a validation for if the, if the, if the uh, category is blank and we're all over the place with all these things um, and I think the fundamental skill that gets us out of the weeds with all this stuff is, um, is identifying a very, very small chunk of work that we want to accomplish right now mm-hmm. um, getting in there making that happen and then stopping
2: okay.
1: and then saying how far did I get? How long was I doing that? And then what do I want to do next? Because yep. it's in that moment when you stop and you have a known state mm-hmm. where you don't have all this unfinished duct tape hanging off of this and that and half built over here and quarter built over there. Yep. When you know what you built and then you have a whole bunch of stuff on your to-do list that you haven't even started, yeah. then you're in a known state mm-hmm. where you can say, oh, okay, here's all the stuff that's done, That ne- that's... All the stuff that's done is actually at my level of acceptable quality. All the stuff that's not done is not done, (laughs) right? (laughs) And I have two weeks left. Right. Time to make some decisions. And anytime you're in that moment where where you don't have all this unfinished crap hanging around Mm -hmm. and you're in a known state, then you can calmly make a decision about what to do next. The problem is that we don't have the habits, most of us don't have the habits to always be in that known state. And this kind of goes back to what really turned me on about Kempbeck's TDD work, is what he's saying is that um, all the time we're defining exactly what should work, and then anything that we haven't defined that should be working is open ground for later development or new features or whatever. And it's also the idea behind Agile, that you're taking off a chunk of work because it's valuable, doing it, doing it to shippable quality, being happy with it and stopping. Right. And then saying what's next. So that, that is, that's the big difference okay. and it's we, we have it on the UI side. Mm-hmm. We have it on the programming side. we have it on the product side in terms of like how far do we have to take this product before we can launch it okay. right? We have it in terms of our business value like mm-hmm. we have that same issue all the time.
0: right well, I went, so in that last statement that you made about like providing the value so you guys have I would imagine now a bar, That is, like, at a different level than maybe the bar was at three, four, five years ago when you first launch. Well, Basecamp's been around for seven years now, right? Yeah. So, (laughs) um, but is that something where, so you guys are notorious for talking about, like, limiting the scope, getting, you know, a great version one out there. Mm -hmm. Have you found that your version ones now, today, are what, like, version two or three would have been five years
1: ago? It's difficult because we don't um, have the luxury of creating new products all the time. Yeah. And version one is really only true when you have a new product. Right, right. Um, but you can recursively apply that thinking to the features. Okay. You can think of a feature as being like a product, and you can think of a feature as having a V1 yep. if it's a new feature. And um, we find that every time that we're frustrated or something is taking too long or we're, we're having a difficult time, building out a feature, it's because we did exactly that. We, we tried to make V2,
0: okay.
1: V1. Okay. Um, and every time that we're happy with how things are going, it's because we were actually able to trim back and and do that bare, bare, bare minimum first version of whatever it is. So yep. um, our, in a way, the standard that's hard to keep is the standard of doing less. That's still the hard thing. Okay. The more people you get, the more natural... Um, like, the more, like, power or energy there is behind this tendency to to have a bigger hammer or a bigger, you know what I mean? Like, you have all these troops, and you just be like, well, let's just deploy them. (laughs) You know what I mean? We can conquer that town. Look at all these people. (laughs) But it's wrong. It really doesn't work. It totally doesn't work because all your exponential network... Costs, you know what I mean? The, the, yeah, what is this thing called? The one, you know, you're talking to one person and then you're talking to two people and you're talking to the the, the handshake. By the time you're talking to the fifth person in the thing, it's exponentially more complicated. Right. It's really like that. And, um, and you can't make anything with so many people. So, the only way that we can really keep a high level of quality and move forward at the pace we like and enjoy what we're doing is to have two or three people doing the work. Yep. And then the only way two or three people can do the work and get anywhere is if the V1 is really, really, really darn small.
0: Okay. So one of the things that I think is great about your products is that they lend themselves to, um, like, obviously remote workforce, right? And I've found on my own projects that one of the things I like a lot about them, you could have, let's say you're talking about your team of two, three, four people working on, you know, thing A, and another three people working on thing B, and if the other people are interested in, because so much of the communication is happening in the written form, that you can go check out that campfire oh, yeah. room totally. or that base camp project space, and like read, and you, it's sort of like you, just, you have this real time documentation of what's going on and what people are talking about, and you can get brought up to speed pretty quickly if you just spend, you know, half an hour like reading what people are writing about. Mm-hmm. Have you found that – so we're sitting in this gorgeous office, right? Have you found that you – and circling back real quick, one of the things that um, Jason Zimdars wrote a post about related to, like, the whole – like, why he thought you guys were so good at doing the remote workforce thing is that he talked about how everything was, like, equal, right? Where – um, the people that are in the Chicago office are were still using like Basecamp and mm-hmm. still using Campfire and all that kind of stuff, and so he the the remote people never felt like remote, right? Yeah. They just is that um, still the case, or have you guys found that now that you have this office and maybe more people are com- that are in Chicago are coming into it that you might have a conversation with with somebody about a feature that previously may have gone into campfire and everybody would have seen it. Now you had it in the cafeteria while you were having lunch uh, and it's not making it in there. And is that something you guys have been struggling with?
1: Um, it hasn't, there is a benefit to being in person that you can't get around. There's a sort of accidental discovery <laughs> conversations, whatever that happens. Okay. Um, it's not the case that everybody um, who is in Chicago is having a constant, vibrant exchange of ideas that's not happening in Campfire or whatever. Uh-huh. The vast majority of the communication still happens in Campfire. Um, Jason and I, Jason Fried and I have been like, both in Chicago and doing a lot of like brainstorming, feature strategy, design sketching, concepting. It's like we've always been uh, co-located uh, right. doing that. Um, so that hasn't really changed. Um, uh, we, um, we, we have recently been bringing in um, uh, we've been encouraging some of the teams to fly in for a few days mm-hmm. and we found that that time when it's targeted is very very productive okay. um, you know a team's working on a feature they all come in for a couple days and then we, we sit together in the room and really talk about what we're doing we sketch ideas together review things together and just a lot comes out from that Yep. Know, tangential ideas, side ideas. Right. Um, it's really nice. We have occasional meetups where, uh, where, where everybody comes together to as a company mm-hmm. and a lot of things just come out of that. Um, what, but it still basically hasn't changed. The one thing that has changed that we've been trying to, to do more of is, is this. Um, since we noticed... So we have these team rooms. We're sitting in one in our office right now. right? This, this room that right. we're sitting in uh, is a small room it's the size of a small bedroom, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it has chalkboards on, 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 on either side. Uh, there's two chalkboards in here. There's a table in the middle, four chairs around the table, and then here on the wall there's a, uh, there's a, there's a big LCD panel uh, with, a, with a Mac Mini plugged into it. And uh, what, what we do is we come in here as a team or a group, uh, we uh, we screen share one of our laptops to the Mac Mini that's hiding behind the TV so that we can all see the screen on the TV, yep. and then a, and then we're talking about ideas and or maybe iterating on a design or whatever it is, and then when somebody wants to um, to jot down some key points or express a design idea or whatever, they jump up to the chalkboard and they start scribbling some things, mm-hmm. and what we noticed by having this this process together in the room was that the things that really moved really changed the dynamic of the discussion were being able to see the screen together and having this like persistent surface, the chalkboard, um, where we could accumulate bullet points or sketch something. Those were really like the things that made the difference. Body language is nice and all, but I think it's actually a little bit overrated. Um, it wasn't the thing that really made the difference in terms of us being able to communicate about work. So, um, what we've done since then is we we, we started using WebEx mm-hmm. um, with the remote teams. And what we'll do now is any time we really need to review something or talk about something or dive into some details, instead of having a phone call, we'll have a WebEx. And somebody is sharing their screen. <clears throat> We're all looking at their screen. Okay. And then we have a Google Doc open, which is our chalkboard. Okay. Because everybody can write on it, and it's persistent. And... And... Uh, and you can write your little, uh, you can have your little agenda points of what you're hoping to talk about, or whatever decisions you conclude on, you can right. make them as bullet points, you yep. know. Um, and being able to look at the screen together was just a huge change. Okay. And then the Google Doc is the other half. So those, that's like our new kind of equation for when we really want to like kick some butt together remotely. Okay. Is to hop onto a WebEx and talk it out. Huh. Yeah. Okay.
0: So the first question, like, you know, instinctively. So you guys are notorious for building products that solve your own problems, right? Um, So I was just thinking to myself, so does that mean there's another product coming? Oh, man.
1: (laughs) I have a feeling that Cisco figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we have a lot to contribute to a WebEx alternative. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, some deep integration would be really nice or something with Campfire or whatever. You know what right. I mean? But, like, really, it's just a tool, and, and it's working very well for us. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, I think uh,
0: I think that's a pretty good place to wrap up. So, Ryan, thanks a ton for chatting with me about all this stuff. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure.
2: Thanks. Look what you've done Look what you've done